0: Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I am joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host, Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director,
1: and I am extraordinarily excited to be talking about Gamera, Guardian of the Universe, one of the greatest films ever made. Um, I hope Dan shares my passion for it, I'm sure he does,
0: Dan, how did you feel about this film? How did you first see it? I love this film. I don't think anyone who's seen this film doesn't love this film. (laughs) I had the manga distribution VHS in the UK. I'm pretty sure that uh, quite a few of the voice cast were played by competition winners. The soundtrack was definitely done by let's say the UK VHS producers' brother—that's <laughs> a, that's a guess again—but um but I fucking love it. It was a it was a, a regular go-to. I think it's the first Gamma film I saw. Okay. um Obviously, I was very familiar with Godzilla, although at the time uh, I think uh, even then I'd probably only seen dubs of most of those as well. But this was a an absolute fantastic go-to. I think the thing is not to get too far ahead of ourselves you know compared to the other films many of which are fantastic um is that it's it sort of it ticks two boxes that normally you'd consider to be mutually exclusive it's both hilariously bad and actually very well made yeah yeah i mean there, there is there's cheesy stuff
1: in here for sure like it it uses newspaper production exposition which is always a good sign um and the the Monsters in it, the the Gaius, um, Gios, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm so terrible p- with pronunciation by the way, so do pick me up on anything that I get wrong. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm guessing largely. I, well, I used to, um, there's a, a, a DC um, villain called Dark Side, right? And it's got a weird spelling in the comics, and so in my head, it was always Dark Seed um because oh, it has a y uh, it's um d-a-r-k-s-e-i-d um because it's edgy and yeah so it, it, in my head it was always dark seed and i think i, I did a couple of interviews <laughs> talking about this
0: character i mean that is that's how you spell dark seed like that, that's not pronounced dark side i don't care what they say exactly <laughs> you, right you were right but but yeah th- those guys
1: the big uh, you know scary birds they have the most Adorable muppety googly eyes um, I love them and you know th- there's discussion of of gamma's impact on the local fish market you know this is all kind of
0: what you'd traditionally see in in quote unquote bad movies well so so this is the thing this isn't what I was talking about with the bad stuff oh, I literally on. just meant the dub and the soundtrack this is the first time I'd seen the Japanese language version uh, I'd only seen the dub before this and 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 it's astonishing, like, you know, we all know what a difference it makes. And this is actually uh sort of so friend of the pon- podcast, Andre, who uh you know, Sam and I know through Twitter, um, and I regularly have conversations about the difference between dubbing uh like culture in an outside in Germany versus England. And it's interesting because in England, dubbing is by and large unnecessary if all you want to take in is is blockbusters but in every other country in the world or almost every other country in the world if you want to watch american films you either have to watch them subtitled or dubbed and so a lot of other countries around the world have a much higher level of quality in their dubbing and thus dubbing isn't like dubbed films aren't seen with the same sort of like ridicule that we see them in the uk Mm. so like you know they get high-end actors to dub stuff in germany uh whereas here like in England, dubs have always been risible. They, they've always been, like, a, a, a figure of fun. And I think it's only when Disney started releasing Studio Ghibli stuff that dubs in America really became, like, something that people took seriously.
1: Yeah, that's that's interesting. And, yeah, we have a whole culture in the UK of um, kind of dubbed comedy. Like, there used to be a Saturday morning series where... Um, What was it? It was some like musketeer show and uh, they
0: put deliberately funny dubbing over the top of it. Um, Well, but even Magic Roundabout, like when they bought the rights to Magic Roundabout, they didn't bother getting the audio. (laughs) So they just made up what was going on. Yeah, yeah. It's quite bizarre. Lone Lone Wolf and Cub? Yeah. The baby, like, you know, Shogun Assassin. They just chop those two movies together and put a new storyline on them because who fucking cares about what the Japanese think about their own art? Let's just do our version of it. Well, this is it. This is... I mean, you know my feelings on Shogun Assassin.
1: Like, I saw The Lone Wolf and Cubs... The, the originals before I saw Shogun Assassin, and I found Shogun Assassin actually quite unbearable. I know that is sacrilege to a lot of um, cult fans. I'm, I'm very sorry to anyone listening to this who loves that film, but because of the order I came to it, I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Um, yeah. But yeah, just to to pick up on something you said about, um, you know, not having to, to dub kind of action movies and stuff like that, it reminded me of... Um, I was lucky enough to interview Nicolas Cage and I asked him about, um, you know, he won the Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas and then obviously his career took a, a, a quite a bold left turn where he did loads of action movies. And uh, this was obviously before all the tax stuff. And so, you know, I, I wanted to know, like, why, why did you make that decision? You know, was it cashing in? What was it? And he said that basically he went on a trip uh, to Africa and um, he was walking through a village and you know his words not mine he was looking in the windows of, of some of the huts and he saw that like they were all watching action movies and he suddenly decided that this was like the universal language this was you know cinema that everybody can understand and enjoy so he just well, decided to make completely yeah of um explosiony movies and yeah it makes absolute well, because, sense
0: you know what what's the what's the cultural nuance to an explosion yeah. you know like ennui is a is a country by country maybe even state by state or county by county distinction but everyone knows that fire is bad <laughs> this is it and that's why i've got on my notes here i've got my kind of list of
1: the slightly cheesier stuff that i still enjoyed obviously um but i've got it has the greatest ending of all time it's pure cinema um i love the ending and yeah and it's so good it's so good um and that was before we got onto the 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 topic of the universe the universal nature of um of action movies yeah it's just it's beautiful it's poetic
0: yeah, an Atlantean uh, terrapin, giant terrapin, uh, oh, we should... saves the Earth from a leathery bat. I mean, we maybe shouldn't spoil the ending, but I guess
1: if it's called Guardian of the Universe, like you, you do know he's probably going to win. Um, well,
0: and you also know that there's, even though it's a hard reboot, that there's two more, <laughs> at least because of the box set nature of the purchase (laughs) yeah exactly
1: and actually that that kind of brings me to something that i wanted to make clear obviously this box set has sold out everywhere um you know and so we're not going to necessarily go in too much depth about you know all the stuff you get because i don't want to make people feel sad that they can't buy it but there are rumblings that arrow are going to be releasing these films individually um,
0: so, and so and the films themselves without the extras are available on the Arrow Video channel exactly and i think yeah. and i think also separately through uh, amazon as well as pay purchases so you can still watch them and they are fucking great
1: yeah exactly so 100 percent. like just for guardian of the universe alone it would be worth getting the Arrow video channel but um obviously there's other stuff on here too i watched a couple more dan watched a couple more um we're going to get into that should we though do the plot of gamma guardian of the universe dan I'm, I'm gonna let you take this one sam what no, no. <laughs> No, that's that's not going to happen, Dan. You are the plot man.
0: <laughs> nice, nice try. Um, you know. Uh, okay, so a Japanese research group uh, uncover some uh, stuff on a, a peninsula peninsula island. Is mm-hmm. it? Am I right with that? Yeah. Um, which uh, turns out to be uh, sort of accidentally resurrecting a giant prehistoric bird bat thing yeah reptile uh it's sort of basically a sort of a cubist pterodactyl um <laughs> you see i never would have said cubist pterodactyl <laughs> this is why this is your job uh, and it falls to the chunky little feet of an atlantean terrapin to save
1: humanity <laughs> oh man he's so cute um
0: he's cuter in other films but um yeah, but yeah well that's so you know i know you said not to go into the the extras too much but I did find that the the sort of the discussions about the redesign mm. of Gamera, because he was ostensibly the children's kaiju in the original franchise. Uh, and and obviously I'm ignoring the, the Tadzilla slash Godzuki kind of period of the Toho Godzillas. Yeah. But this was a bit of a sort of an adult reimagining. So it's a little, it's like a gritty reboot. It's a, <laughs> it's a gritty reboot of Gamera. Uh, and one of the first things they did was give him upsettingly realistic eyes
1: (laughs) yeah this was clearly made in response to jurassic park wasn't it like you've got someone who goes elbow deep in monster shit i mean obviously here it's bird shit and you've got musical motifs not the whole score i love the score the score is fucking amazing um but you can hear those little jurassic park motifs kind of throughout yeah um and there's some of those spielbergian reaction shots but that's a bit of a stretch you get those in all monster movies really but um that kind of tone um that kind of mixture of kind of genuinely quite intense big monster movie crossed with the child's eye perspective that we get as well kind of reminds me of jurassic yeah
0: it's yeah it's like the whole film is it's interesting because it is it's definitely for a more adult audience than the ori- not the original per se but then the franchise had maybe found for its its home yeah but that doesn't make it unacceptable for children at all. Uh, and again, in the extras, like the guy that made the Gamora suit was saying, you know, he was scared by the originals, and that's what he wanted. That's yeah. what he was aiming for with this. Um, and and its detractors in Japan said, oh, it's not a it's not a camera film for kids. It's a Gamora film for the kids that enjoyed the originals and have now grown up into adults. But I, I, and while I see that the nostalgia factor would definitely be key i don't think that's fair like there's nothing in here that's unacceptable the director of the original one was complaining about a cut on the cheek of one of the of one of the young-ish characters mm. in this film but actually that's a it, it's an important narrative point like you know without spoiling anything at the end of the movie that all kind of like lines up with something yeah yeah totally and you know there, there was
1: kind of quote-unquote blood in some of those earlier gamma movies um But yeah, in
0: terms of well, gamma blood, but not human death. No, no, I I
1: understand. I understand. But just you know, it's not like there wasn't violence in the original. So they are definitely more child aimed, child friendly though. Um, And actually, it's kind of a trend that continues in this trilogy, Um, in the sequel, Attack of Legion. You know, you've got the the creatures, the Legion creatures are kind of very alien, and I love them. Yeah, they're fantastic and. Yeah, the tone. The design's
0: amazing. I feel like that yeah. design must have been instrumental in totopolis's stuff for, like, maybe not for Pitch Black specifically, but mm. there's that kind of insectoid yeah. aspect to them that's delightful. Like, they feel like something out of uh, Starship Troopers.
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. And um, yeah, the tone is, is more grown up again, I'd say. Like, there are genuinely scary a, moments in this film i'd say it's like, the
0: only one in the box set that's not a pg yeah that one
1: yeah and and arguably it's it's a better film than guardian of the universe in that respect though you know guardian of the universe is so good um i don't necessarily want to do versus battles between these movies um and then darkest of all probably gamma 3 revenge of iris which is basically an ex existential mediation on revenge as suggested by the title uh it, it's it's yet another masterpiece really and yeah with kind of a more weird structure and tonally more complex i'd say what what would you what do you think of revenge of iris
0: I've not seen the third one. Oh, so okay. after after watching the second one on the reboot, I went back to the beginning and rewatched Gamera the Giant Monster, yeah. Gamera versus Geos, Gamera versus Viras. Like I uh yeah, I, I dipped into the older stuff. Oh no, that's all um, good. Well that's
1: kind of how we split it up really, wasn't it? So um yeah. how did you get on with those movies?
0: I mean they're they're a delight. They're an absolute delight. And and as someone who used to spend many a late Friday night back from the pub you know, nursing some additional beers and watching the old dubbed Godzillas, you can definitely... Like, they've really... Uh, Day I have really, like, successfully captured the the fun of a lot of those, even though there's this, like, slightly peculiar Gamma is the friend of children <laughs> aspect. So in the in the very, very first one, um, Gamma the giant monster, there's this little kid, uh, and he's told he's not allowed this pet terrapin, it's called a turtle in the in the subtitles. They're like, get, get rid of that turtle, you're not allowed to turtle, It's you know, you can't have it as a pet. And so he takes it away and he drops it in a creek and he goes back to check on it later and it's gone. And then Gamera rocks up. And so for the entire film, he is convinced that Gamera is his pet Terrapin got big. Yes. And so he spends the entire thing just assuming that this giant fucking creature is uh is his little pet uh, and and this is to some extent bolstered by the fact that Gamera seems to have an affinity for him and and saves his life a couple of times even though he constantly and willfully puts himself in harm's way <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't for the uh limited abilities of that very first Gamera puppet uh, I think we'd see a lot more eye rolling from it <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean yeah I uh, like for me this is an incredible box set um, oh, yeah. I'd actually go as far as to say that it's better than the Criterion box set for Godzilla. I know that is a very bold claim. And I know that, you know, yeah, uh, I, I don't necessarily want to talk about it in terms of cultural impact because they're, they're obviously miles apart. Um, but in terms of the actual films themselves and in terms of what's actually on this box set, I do think that you know if we were to put them up against each other I'd say that Gamera would win the fight and um, just partly because you know obviously the the Godzilla criterion it's the Showa era film so it only goes from 54 to 75 whereas this box set has different eras on it and feels yeah. more complete to me um
0: well and it actually includes toho stuff as well because gamera guardian of the universe was a toho collaboration yeah Dei yeah. uh, day i had wanted to do a godzilla and gamera crossover picture back in the day and toho had been snotty about it and said well no we're not doing that <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, here we are. Here's his, his Day and Toho working side by side for the camera picture. And it's, it, you know, and possibly the best camera pictures as well. Yeah, exactly. And,
1: um, yeah, I just think James Flower, producer, and everybody else, you know, our friend Nora... Um, I I can't necessarily go as far as to say that James is our friend because we did have a lovely conversation with him on the live Q&A, but, you know, we don't know him that well, whereas we know Nora a bit better. Um, But, yeah, everybody involved in this box set should be incredibly proud of it. And if you'd like to hear a little bit more from the people who put it together, then watch our our Fright Fest live episode that's on YouTube, on the Arrow YouTube channel. Uh, We do talk quite a lot about this box set on there. But, um, yeah, just overall what fantastic fun movies if you weren't lucky enough to get the box set as dan says on the arrow video channel all of the films and the new arrow so we've got the arrow video channel on amazon in the uk and they've got that new uh streaming platform in the us haven't they do you know much
0: about that dan i don't know a huge amount about it i'm hoping it's going to come to the uk as well but yeah it's very exciting that they've sort of got control over that like an entire arrow space
1: yeah it's really exciting yeah no i'm really happy about that and i'm sure it won't uh i'm sure they'll put extras and stuff on there as well because it's such an important part of arrow but um but we shall see Shall we stop shall i stop waffling
0: and shall um, i'd like to can i can i just run through a couple of my high points from some of the earlier films yeah of just course because i wrote some notes <laughs> Absolutely. and i think i think you'll appreciate them sam y- yes please so, uh, my favourite line from the first film is, oh, it's just one of those UFOs that they talk about nowadays.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Which I very much enjoyed. Uh, also, I love the idea that some old dude in a field saying he saw a UFO would make national news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, 55 minutes into the first Gamera film is the first of many times that you will see the Gamera suit set its own head on fire. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I thought was sadly missing from Guardian of the Universe, because the yeah. fire is CG, uh, there's, they, they've sadly done away with one of my favourite elements of the old movies, which is the fact that, because Gamera can breathe fire, and because the best way to make a suit breathe fire is to put a literal flamethrower inside it, uh, <laughs> there isn't as far as, and I haven't seen absolutely all of them, but I don't think there's a single film in the original uh, series where Gamera's head doesn't catch fire at least once. It's
1: fantastic, yeah
0: i mean the um the fastest one is Gamera, uh, uh Gamera versus geos the the original appearance of geos who is also an amazing sort of papier-mâché bird in that one um but yeah he sets his own head on fire astonishingly quickly in that movie. <laughs> yeah i think safety measures uh, improved slightly by by the
1: later films and, and obviously cgi technology um that's very funny uh, any more
0: Gamera versus Viras. It's not until an hour and 12 minutes that he sets his own head on fire. (laughs) Um, I've written some some prank boys fuck with a submarine and are rewarded with an adventure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, these Uh, are all massive spoilers, Dan. I, I think I think one of my favourite things about the aesthetic of the old films is that once they got all the miniatures hmm. made for the, like the destruction, they'd actually just use them for the GVs. So like it'll be like, well, we've got to take this Jeep into the military base, cut to a miniature. Oh, they're leaving on the helicopter, cut to a miniature. Yeah. So they weren't just using the miniatures for the explosions, they were using the miniatures for, well, we don't have a, mili- a military base or helicopter shots are expensive. We'll just, you know, swing it in on a bit of fishing line
1: yeah absolutely and th- th- yeah, there's a little bit of that in the original Godzilla uh movies isn't there um oh very much yeah
0: uh, you know what there was a there was some stuff I think it was in um I think it was in uh gamma versus Veras mm. there's a really beautiful moment when a building's being smashed, and they've put no you know what it's not it's in the very first one because it's black and white, and I think the first one's the, f- the only black and white one mm-hmm. there's a bit where a building's getting smashed up, and what they've done is they've got the miniature building but they've painted little people onto a bit of acetate and they're dragging it past a window on a bit of monofilament before the building gets smashed right so that so that the audience i mean kids film but so (laughs) that the audience can see that the building is populated when it's destroyed that's fantastic and it's but but it but the whole aesthetic is kind of like the home alone mannequins in the window yeah exactly yeah i love it i love it um yeah and and
1: Yeah, as you say, like the modern trilogy uh, is just full of beautiful shots, beautiful design. You know, I I just don't understand why these films aren't mentioned when we talk about great trilogies, because it is a truly great trilogy. I mean that sincerely
0: um yeah. so yeah and in the second one they wear baseball caps with chin straps which i've never seen <laughs> so. <laughs> so it deserves accolades for that alone but yeah thank yep. thank you
1: so much arrow thank you movie gods thank you for not that I'm saying that Arrow are movie gods I'm saying that they worked in collaboration with the movie gods um, to immortalise all of these incredible films not just on Blu-ray in this incredible box set but also on Arrow video channel and like I say I do think they probably are James sort of alluded to it in our interview didn't he that I think they're going to release them separately Um, and yeah so many of them are worth a punt Um, but especially for me Guardian of the Universe it's definitely my favourite
0: uh, yeah it's a delight and, and honestly like five different audio mixes plus an audio commentary as well like incredibly exhaustive
1: yeah and you know you get the comment uh, anyway let's not I can't, i'm not going to go into all of what you get on the box set if you've got the box set and you're listening to this feel free to feel very smug because you have an absolute treasure in your hands um, and for everyone who didn't get one i'm very sorry a, a um, giant treasure yeah truly truly but um let's get into recommendations now i'm concerned that we're going to have the same recommendations again but i'm gonna very possible take the risk and roll the dice and let you go first even though i know you don't have my second one
0: well see this is the thing i think you might have my second one right but i'm gonna go with my first one anyway yeah uh, and risk losing the second one to you, but uh, so my first one is is a Godzilla picture because I had to recommend a Godzilla uh, picture. Yeah. Um, but I think that tonally, the one that feels most like it's part of the Gamma universe is Godzilla versus Abira, aka Go- Abira Terror from the Deep, oh, uh, from God. 1966. Uh, it's directed by uh, Jun Fukuda. Uh, he's who's probably my favourite of the Godzilla, like sort of regular directors? He did Terror of Mechagodzilla, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. But he did some of the slightly later ones when they were allowed to be a little bit more violent. Um, spoiler alert, Godzilla wins over <laughs> Abira, and he does so by ripping off Abira's arms and beating him to death with his own arms. Yeah. Which is like that was a that was a fucking transformative moment for me as a teenager watching that. Uh, I love that. Yeah. It's also got Spiger in it, who's one of the the, the, the lesser scene of the Monster Island inhabitants, who's essentially just a big spider. Um, but I really like him, uh, and it's got a slightly peculiar drug running subplot as well. Um, but yeah, I love I love it. I love a from the Deep. And um, Mothra's in it, isn't she? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not not as much as some of the later films, and I think uh, Fukuda would be part of. the the sort of the resurgence that we see Mothra come to our screen more later on. Mm. But yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Mothra. Mothra was uh, uh, quite popular among some of the more stonery friends of mine in my my teenage years. Because Mothra is ostensibly a massive stoner who just kips on a big island and is occasionally woken up by some twins in a seashell to go and sort some shit out and then just goes back to bed. Yeah, yeah, basically. I love
1: Mothra. Um, And in fact, uh, weirdly you haven't taken my recommendation but in a way you have if we go by my italian original poster of uh godzilla era horror of the deep because um that is named the return of godzilla on the italian poster um and nice. i am going to recommend there's technically three return of godzillas if you include what's on the poster um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to recommend the one from um, 1984, which is otherwise known as Godzilla 1985. Fucking hell, it gets confusing, doesn't <laughs> it? Um, <laughs> but but basically, I'd say any of the the Hi-Zai, if if that's pronounced correctly, yeah. era from from 1984 to 1995. Any of those Godzilla movies, they're not in the big Criterion box set but they are probably my favourites since the original um, and specifically Return of Godzilla. I saw that when I was around seven. It was the first kind of big monster movie that I'd seen uh, and became obsessed with it to the extent that my sister was sent on a mission to find a Godzilla toy for me one afternoon to placate me for some reason, um, which is not an easy feat in 1980s East London um so yeah she wasn't successful but uh i still love godzilla 1985 or Return of godzilla whatever you want to call it it is a masterpiece start there watch all of them all of that era um and arrow please please godzilla arrow
0: get the rights to these amazing movies um yeah that'd be great and also it? like going into the the 90s like weirdly violent reboots like the the 90s godzilla versus Uh, Mecha King Ghidorah yeah yeah there's oh my god there's so many good films so many good kaiju movies out there yeah there really are there really are Dan what is next
1: from you recommendation wise
0: um so I thought that I would look at monster movies uh that had been sort of to some degree inspired by the success of Godzilla hmm given that that is what gave birth to Gamera. And while I know that there's probably more of a logical link to King Kong, uh, I wanted to draw people's attention to The Mighty Peking Man.
1: Oh, wow. Yes, fucking hell. How did I not? Yeah, I didn't go for this. But you're right. It's a fucking amazing movie. Wonderful.
0: Yeah, 1977, yeah. Uh, directed by Meng Hua Ho, uh, who also did Oily Maniac. He was a Shaw Brothers regular. Yeah, but he but he did some of the, the wilder stuff for Shaw Brothers. Uh Mighty Peking Man is ostensibly more of a a, a Chinese King Kong ripoff than a King Kong uh, than a Chinese Godzilla ripoff, but it, it definitely fits within the uh not Godzilla Asian giant monster movie mm. uh like sort of panorama. Uh and it's about as mad as they
2: get.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's just fucking wonderful. And it, there's a a, a Blu-ray, uh, eighty-eight films put out a Blu-ray. It's part of their Shaw Brothers collection, so um, it's really easy to get hold of. Excellent. Right. So uh, my next recommendation, uh, based on Gamma Garden in the Universe, I almost went with. Jurassic Park (laughs) but I think that really (laughs) is pushing the limits of uh, films that people that are famous that people might not have seen um I think pretty much everyone's seen Jurassic Park if you haven't it's about dinosaurs it's good um but I'm gonna go a bit more obscure this week with uh Matango Um, Oh, Matango's amazing. From 1963. um, It's a a, a Japanese horror film. And kind of the reason I went for this is that it's um, directed by Ishiru Honda. And the the stuff that he did at at that time was a little bit more kind of accessible. Whereas this was much darker, um, kind of similar to... um, to Gamera and obviously Gamera is inspired by Godzilla which was inspired by uh, atomic bombs and so was Matango I think maybe I'm being a bit tenuous here and making a couple of leaps but um but it makes sense to me and any opportunity to recommend this weird movie uh about people who who look like killer mushrooms Um, I I will take it Uh, Matango from 1963 Uh, I recommend it I don't know if it's on Blu-ray but
0: if it isn't it should be do you want three do you want three facts about Matango? oh always Dan number one uh, based on Voice of the Night by William Hodgson yes uh, which is uh, which is great and has been adapted other times worth checking out any version of that number two it was the inspiration or basis for Nicolas Cage's character in Colour Out of Space. Oh, I did not know that. That's wonderful. Excellent. He watched
1: he watched it on the reg during production. Fucking amazing. Oh, I'm very glad I picked it now. That's that's what a great fact. Is that a well-known fact, or is that? No, just something... I don't think that's particularly well known. It's something he told me. Yes. <laughs> You hear that, Arrow Video Podcast listeners, our precious arrowheads. We are giving you the exclusive facts. I love that. Fantastic. Um, do, you, do you have three, another one? Yes, yes.
0: Yeah, number three. It's on Prime yes oh fantastic it's free free
1: to watch on prime oh then please watch it and please get back to to me and dan about your thoughts on it because it's a favorite of both of ours um yeah i love it so excellent great all right well um should we go into recommendations from the past couple of
0: weeks yeah let's do it all right what Uh, have you been watching so uh, I will, spoiler alert, both of my films from the last couple of weeks. Uh, actually, I've managed to see quite a lot. I, I came back from Malta, and I've been mildly locked down since then. Mm. Uh, so I've been watching a lot, which is nice. Uh, and actually, while I was out there, uh, I managed to get in a decent amount of pictures as well. But, but both of the films I'm going to be recommending uh, this week are Korean. Cool. Uh, the first one is from 1978 by Kim ki young uh it's called woman chasing the butterfly of death great title uh it's a great title um and it, it's out on mondo macabro blu-ray in the states um it was one i watched while i was out in malta um i took a big uh like envelope uh, like a wallet of of blu-rays with me when i went uh because obviously sam and i recorded the uh pitch black podcast while we were out there but also i took all of the gamma films with me in a big wallet <laughs> uh, and then i also took a bunch of things that i'd procured recently so so uh, yeah woman chasing the butterfly of death was one of them it's a very very weird film which should be enough to recommend it to some of our audience um ostensibly a young man is uh, posturing in front of some local women Um, he chases an interesting-looking butterfly with his butterfly net, he meets another woman, Uh, they have a chat, she offers him a drink, he takes the drink, she reveals that the drink is poisoned um, because she wants to commit suicide, but she didn't want to do it alone. He's understandably a bit annoyed about this. However, he survives the poisoning. She dies. He is accused of her murder. The police very quickly realise that it was a suicide attempt and release him for some Somehow he gets a a job with a madman who's obsessed with skulls and the collection of skulls, and he finds out that her daughter was the best friend of the girl that killed herself and was meant to be there killing herself with the friend, and, and then chickened out or didn't go for some reason, and she blames him for the death of her friend, or for stealing the opportunity to die with her friend. It's unclear. Hmm. Um, And then the whole film is also peppered with this idea that the human will is the only thing that keeps us alive during hardship. Uh, which is demonstrated in the early scenes by an amazing old monk who keeps on being like just fucking kill me i don't care i can't die <laughs> and every time this guy like is like i want to kill myself he's like you can't die i've got to treat teach you about the persistence of the human spirit um and so he keeps on murdering this monk and the monk keeps on coming back at one point uh he comes back as just a furious skeleton
1: wow wow
0: um yeah i, I like i really i don't like i've I've hardly covered any of the film in that description. What, what, uh, like year 50 is it from roughly? Uh, it is from 1978. Okay,
1: cool, excellent. Uh,
0: there's a bit where he goes, he breaks in to uh, a cave that's open to the public, like as a tourist thing, because uh, he wants to to nick a skeleton. So he nicks the skeleton, and, and this he's with his friend. And he's, he's like, how are we going to get this past security? And his friend's like, don't worry, leave this to me. And they get out to the security guard. And as the security guard's like, what's in your bag? And he's like, oh, it's just the bones of my sister. We wanted to bury her here, but I guess that was a stupid idea, which is ostensibly the, oh, I had this when I came in, <laughs> like, excuse. And the guy's like, well, that seems legit. Off you go. Take your skeleton with you. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a wonderful Give us film. the title one more time uh the the release title on the blu-ray is woman chasing the butterfly of death mm-hmm. uh, the literal translation is i think woman chasing murder butterfly <laughs> but but it's been released under numerous titles but the blu-ray is woman chasing the butterfly of death fantastic that, that i'll, I'll track that down
1: it's very worth that, getting. Down. that sounds wonderful um now i saw uh a couple of truly great horror films over the past couple of weeks um both modern releases both directed by women um first up is saint Maud, um oh. which as this episode goes up is in cinemas across the country now um you must go and see it um if you safely yeah if you feel confident enough to go to the cinema um you know and i'm not going to judge anyone who, who doesn't feel confident uh, enough to go to the cinema i totally understand it they are safer than pubs at, at, at the moment apparently um the cinema companies that, that are still open are taking the safety precautions incredibly seriously um as they know how much customer confidence matters uh, to keeping their business going. Um, And there hasn't been an outbreak linked to a cinema yet, as far as I'm aware. However, all of that said, you know, if if you don't feel confident enough, I totally get it. Um, But the reason I'm saying all of this is that I really, really don't want anyone um, to miss out on seeing this one on the big screen. There are slow moments in it, um, but if you take your eye off the screen for a moment, you will miss something. Um, and one of those somethings is the best jump scare I have ever, ever seen. It was transcendent. It went through my entire body. Um, and, and this isn't a eat your greens, elevated horror, you know, whatever they're calling it type thing. It, it's a really entertaining character study um, with beautiful visuals and original ideas. The closest comparison I can give is Carrie, uh it's kind of very resonant with that film um but in its own unique way and dan right i i I don't want to annoy you by saying this i don't want to overhype it but i am so confident you will love this film um it is so up your street i i'm so very convinced
0: it will be in your top 10 at the end of the year if you do have a chance to see it I already thought I was going to love it. Yes. Um, just from the, hu- the from the buzz. Yeah. Like, the people that I've heard talking positively about yeah. it have given me enormous confidence in it. Um, I had thought it was going to be much more like... Oh my goodness, I've forgotten the name of it. What's that uh, indie misery fest about... Stations of the Cross. Yeah, Stations of the Cross, yeah. yeah. I thought it was going to be much more like a sort of horror version of Stations of the Cross, and I was fully on board, but hearing your description of it, I, I feel like maybe it's swaying into another arena, but I'm still just as up for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that you're a million miles away from that, Um, yeah, without getting into it, but yeah, yeah, it... it it's it's just not as hard work as that, that, that film is. Um, and uh, I'm genuinely getting goosebumps thinking of you watching this film, Dan. That's how much I think <laughs> you're going to love it. Um, and you must feed back to me when you've seen it um, because, yeah, I, I really want to talk to you about it when you've actually seen it. But, um, yeah, Saint Maud, if you can get to the cinema, please, please do. It is so worth it. And, you know just there is one moment in this film. I mean, there's, there's a couple to be fair, but uh, there's one that I've got in my mind, especially that will be an absolute joy at the cinema. So, um, St. Maud out now everywhere. Please enjoy, please tweet me when you've seen it. If you see it off the back of my recommendation and, um, yeah, I'll stop talking now. Dan, what's your next recommendation?
0: Uh, so I said I had two Korean films, uh, this time for you uh if you remember a a, a little while ago probably like six months ago or so uh, i recommended a film called a taxi driver Mm -hmm. um which was a true story uh about a a sort of an uprising or or a rather the political suppression of an uprising in korea so yuna eom And I've butchered that name, I'm 100% certain, and I apologise. His follow-up feature, his second feature, uh, is called The Secret Mission. If you want to find it on IMDb, you have to include the word THE, because IMDb is evil. Um, The Korean title, again, which I'm going to butcher, is Malmoe, M-A-L-M-O-E, the letter E. From last year, it's not available in any format other than the Korean (laughs) Blu-ray. which has English subtitles so you can just buy it and know that you'll be able to watch it. Mm. It's a beautiful sort of like thriller drama um, and it's ostensibly about the period in Korean history when they were under occupation from Japan and Japan were trying to eradicate the use of the Korean language because they felt that the Korean spirit, quote unquote, was linked to the use of the Korean language and that by... Uh, by, like, forcing the Korean language into extinction by, like, beating children if they used it in school, uh, forbidding the publication of of books and literature in the Korean language, all that kind of stuff, that they would essentially be able to break the will of the Korean people and and just absorb them fully into Japan. That Korea would become part of Japan. Uh, And the movie concerns a group of people trying to write an illegal dictionary in the Korean language that incorporated all of the different uh, dialects around Korea of all of the different boroughs, but it focuses on uh, a, a, um, a character, a fictional character, I believe, true story, fictional lead, who was a sort of a petty criminal who was hired by them to help uh, and and became part of the effort to to bring in people who spoke these different dialects from around Korea. Uh, and about how he he like he can't even read at the beginning of the film, and by the end of it, you know he's 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 vested in this in this uh, situation. It's a an incredibly touching drama. It's an incredibly tense thriller. It's really really well made. And if any of you watched A Taxi Driver, my recommendation, you'll know that this guy, the director, deals incredibly well with the balance between careers, uh, like cultural lean towards melodrama which is maybe not my interest um and career's like sort of quite grueling gritty drama which is very much my interest mm. and he does it very very well and and on the side that i care for
1: fabulous fabulous love it um i'm just gonna throw in a couple of cheeky blu-ray recommendations down before i get to my next <laughs> yeah go um but yeah just uh, so people know 976 evil and sleepwalkers especially sleepwalkers yeah. are out on blu-ray next week um just in time for spooky season um both are obviously great fun but sleepwalkers is just a, an utter joy and we've talked about it on the podcast before it, it contains one of the best cameo scenes ever yes um, and yeah it's got some brilliant extras um there's a new commentary by mick garris which is fantastic Um, Oh, lovely. But yeah, both are on Eureka. um, Both are out next Monday as this goes up. Um, So yeah, get them in in time for Halloween. But speaking of Halloween, I've now seen a few of the Arrow Video Fright Fest Halloween uh, lineup. I've had June Drifter come through, uh, and you should get a ticket to that if you want to support uh, imaginative and inventive British cinema. Um, it's a kind of a, a sci-fi horror, basically, um, and yeah, just love a sci-fi horror. Insanely inventive, um, considering like the the circumstances it, it was made. Um, I won't go into that now, though. Uh, we'll, we'll do a Arrow Video Fright Fest roundup in the next episode, I'm sure. But uh, I also had hosts through, not host, but hosts. Um, and that's had that title for a long time, so it hasn't cashed in on the Shudder hit. You know, that's been one that I've kind of watched the development of on YouTube um, for quite a while now. There's some fantastic behind-the-scenes YouTube videos about this movie, um, so you may be aware of it already, Precious Arrowhead, but um, that is another uh, 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 British film that really pushes things on the budget that it has. Um, But the film I really want to talk about is The Stylist, which for me is an absolute masterpiece. I loved it so much. It will definitely be in my end of year top 10. Um, One of the best films about loneliness I've ever seen. And yeah, it would actually make a really good double bill with St. Maud, um, actually, or my closest comparison for it, the original Maniac
0: it is wow a- that's a hell of a that, that that I'll treat that as an additional recommendation for St Maud as well yeah i mean
1: yeah very very different i mean it's a through line rather than a direct comparison but st Maud like again i don't want to hype it up too much and especially it's like it's been all over twitter and everyone recommending it everyone wanting to support it there is a reason that people want to support this film and i honestly want to watch it again right now uh, like i love it so much um but anyway i also love the stylist um and it's playing on sunday october 25th at eleven forty five a.m Trust me, you do not want to miss this one. I cannot wait to see the reactions out of Fright Fest. I'm sure every tweet response to this film is going to be glowing. It's another film with an amazing performance at its centre. Um, the Stylist, it's about a killer hairdresser, but it's about much more than that. That's all I'll say. It's wonderful. The Stylist, Sunday, October 25th. Arrow Video Fright Fest. Dan that's it isn't it you've done both yours I've done both mine I finally finally got that right um (laughs) right let's go into extra features extra features extra features extra features extra features gonna run through this quite quickly because I've got quite a lot to get through Dan do you have anything for extra features before I get going
0: I've got nothing ah
1: do you not have Dan's rant no, I've not I've not prepared. <laughs> well, next time, in two weeks, we want our first dance rant. Please, please God. <laughs> um But yeah, I I'm gonna be very quick. Let let's let's just get through this. Um the London Film Festival is still running. There's a couple of great films on this week. Mogul Mowgli, um, which stars Riz Ahmed um as Uh, a rapper who's on the cusp of really big success, um, but he gets a serious illness which holds him back. Uh, And um, yeah, I'm not going to say any more than that. You don't need to know more than that. It's fucking brilliant. It's surreal. It's weird. Magic realism. Amazing soundtrack. Riz Ahmed obviously is one of the greatest actors working today, and it's a true showcase for him. Incredible ending. I loved it. That showing tomorrow um on Tuesday the 13th and then on Wednesday the 14th you've got Shadow Country um, which is my film of the festival so far uh, though that may change when I see possessor obviously but you know me I love my bleak war movies and this is a, a beautifully bleak war movie it's stunning um it kind of reminded me in a very small way of Army of Shadows, uh, also Cold War, but especially a Czech film, a Czechoslovakian film that I've recommended in the past on the podcast, The Shop on Main Street. Um, For me, it's the best Czech war film since. Uh, It goes... All I'm going to say about it is that it goes in a direction that is relatively predictable, and you think that you know the film that you're watching, and then it gets to a certain point, and you think, hang on a minute, there's still quite a lot of this film left to go. And then it goes somewhere completely different and it's something that I haven't seen before. So uh, a beautiful portrayal of extreme ugliness. It's a resident masterpiece. Please see it. Shadow Country. That's on Wednesday, the 14th. Um, and yeah, next time I'll do my top 10 of the London Film Festival. So we really do need a damn rant for, for that one, um, which will <laughs> hopefully include Possessor, which I will finally get to see next week. Um, and then, one more very quick festival recommendation. I'm also doing the Nightstream Festival at the moment, and I can't not talk about a film from Dan and I's friend, Giles Edwards. Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, Reunion. I don't know if you've seen this one yet, Dan. If you haven't, no, not yet. Get, get a link from Giles. Um, I'll text him. It, it's about uh, a pregnant woman who goes home to her overbearing mum and shit goes down. I will not say any more than that because I don't think there's any way that anyone can see it outside of Nightstream. Um, and I'll talk about it more at the end of the year in the end of year roundup. Um, but if there is some way that you can see reunion, it ran at the weekend. Um do just add it to your list. Um it has two of the performances of the year in it. Right. Finally, finally, the Dare uh is out today. On DVD, oh, yeah. um, I really enjoyed it. it it's basically a, a nastier saw, if you can imagine such a thing, um, with lots of twists and a really dark tone. It stars Richard Brake in a key role, so I decided to take the opportunity to talk to Richard Brake. About his massively cool career. So, um, we discussed working with Ridley Scott, Rob Zombie, acting with Nick Cage in Mandy, Batman Begins, and so much more. And you can listen to it right now. Yeah, I, I want to start by saying that I really enjoyed The Dare, and I definitely recommend that people check it out. Um, what attracted you to the project?
3: Because I'm not a big fan of like hostile and those and that, and that genre of horror. So, I probably would have not done it had it not have that whole other storyline and be a lot more complex than your typical, let's get a bunch of people, torture them to death, and then end the movie. But because of my character, his relationship with um, his son, shall we say, (laughs) um, or his kidnapped son, that's what really excited me. And I have a couple of boys and just this idea of father relationships and also the, the, the reason, without giving anything away, the reason why um, uh, Credence is the way he is um, interest me a lot. And then I met Giles and that was it. I knew I was going to do it because I really, really dug Giles when we oh, sat okay. down and had coffee and talked about it.
1: And what was it that um, what did he put across over that coffee that made you sort of connect with him so much?
3: I think that he saw it, like me that it was there was a lot. It was a far more complex film than just to talk a bunch of people in a room and torture them. Um, I think the fact that he was. And I, I don't think he acts anymore, but he, he definitely w- was an actor to begin with. So any director that's come from that, you know, who's been an actor al- always has a huge plus for me because they know what, you know, what's involved and they give you the space and, 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 and encourage you in the right way to do a good performance. So that helped. And he just, he seemed, he had the kind of vibe. I have to say for me, sometimes you can just, I've been doing it 30 years. I've met so many directors. I've been fortunate to work with some of the most famous ones in the world and you know you can i can tell you know you can just feel if someone's got what what it takes and he had it even though he hadn't done i think this was his first feature wow. but you know as far as i know and um I, I just knew that he had it so so that yeah that, that was, oh, that, was, yeah, that, was you that was a winning combo for me
1: Your instincts are very good because it's beautifully lit, it's beautifully shot and and beautifully performed as well. So, um, yeah, no, definitely recommend people check that out. And I'd like to do kind of a bit of a career overview, talk about a few different things, because you've been involved in so many films that I love. You played Scott Ridley in Death Machine, then you worked with Ridley Scott in The Counsellor um what was it like working with the director of alien and blade runner and what did you think of the film because i think that's a really underrated film in- oh, i love the film
3: yeah i really do i tell you what i love too is that is the way it was written it's very different it was written by cormac mccarthy who's i would if i was if you put a gun to my head and said who's your favorite writer um it was him um you know i, I mean it is him I, I absolutely adore his work and um I, and one of the incredible thrills for me on that was meeting him and spending actually quite a bit of time having chats with him between takes and, and, and whatnot because you know he's he's just an incredible man and I thought that film was very very different because he you know he's not a screenwriter so a lot of people bashed it because it's quite verbal it's quite complex in terms of the dialogue and all of that is what I love about it and loved about it when I read it um and then working with Ridley was uh, terrifying <laughs> he is a he's an amazing um, he's he's just an icon isn't he and um he he works uh, we were shooting he tends to have like there's a at least when we were filming our scenes there's a kind of um a truck that he would be inside with his monitors and and you would just get kind of messages coming out of it. (laughs) And then he, one time I, I wasn't doing something quite right and out he comes. I was like, oh God, he's coming because I, I've messed up. You know, and he's just this, you can, I mean, talk about sort of alpha male vibe of just, you know, a man who controls his set. He has it. He, he's obviously an incredible director for a reason. You just can feel it oozing out of it. But yeah, what a, what a man. Fantastic.
1: Thank you. And yeah, you you touched on it before and um, yeah, you've worked with so many incredible directors, um, Panos Cosmatos, Chris Nolan, Mm -hmm. Rob Zombie, obviously. Um, What qualities do they all share, um, if any?
3: Um, I I would say one of them that really sticks out, and Rob is always my go-to guy for this, is the ability to inspire you to be your very best i think you know rob zombie has just this incredible ability to inspire everyone who works with him not just actors but you know even people who are um you know working on their first film as a runner you know some youngsters just out of school who's, who's helping out and making the coffee i mean you can feel them really going for it and just wanting to make this great film for rob which often we have to make on far less money than we should be making it on in far less time than we should be having. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the reasons is Rob can make a good film in X amount of weeks. So the producers go, well, Rob, we're only gonna give you X amount of weeks, you know, and it's not enough, but he can do it. And we just get in and, and do it for Rob because he inspires you because he's just creative force in nature. It's, And I felt that with Panos. You know, he's had the same vibe. He's just it's full of this energy to create. And that just, bubbles out and, and, and infuses you to, to do your best work. So, you know, both those guys I love. And uh, Chris Nolan, I mean, obviously, uh, i was trying to think of who you've mentioned as well. I mean, he, again, he had it, you know, I worked, I worked with him on one of his first big films. I think it might've been his first big film, uh, Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. And you could feel it off, you know, off of him. He's just so calm, so, but I, like the other two you mentioned, a, a real visionary. I mean, you just knew it. This guy was, was in his element. Um, just as you know Rob is when he's filming and Panos as well. So yeah, I think the, you know that's one of the many qualities that I could go on, and on about. But that one, the ability to induce you to do your absolute best as a creative individual or whoever you are on the set,
2: they all have that.
3: I love it. Thank you. That's brilliant. And I love Mandy
1: so much. It was my film of the decade on the podcast last oh, year. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, just an yeah. incredible movie. Um, what are your memories of shooting
3: your scene in that film? That was funny because um, I'll start with, uh, you know, actually when I, I auditioned for that, um, they sent me the script. Uh, and I, I I was like, wow, this is Cray, that's amazing, amazing script. And then I went in and they said, would you read for two different roles? One was um, the sec- Ned Dennehy's part, the second in command of um, uh, Linus Roach's character. And the other one was the chemist. So I read it, you know, and that, you know, uh, for us actors, typically you're paid, you know, by the length of time you're on a, on a film, right? For us, you know, job in showing up actors that pop up in every damn thing. That's how they pay us. So I knew that um, Dan Denhae's character would be, you know, he doesn't, he pops up a lot in that film. So you're going to make a nice little, nice little chunk of money over the summer. And the chemist, you pop up for one, one scene, but it's a hell of a scene. And also I knew, and I know me, I knew not I'm getting the chemist. So I went into the audition because I read Dent's part and I thought I can't really see what to do with that, you know. And Ned did an amazing amazing job with it because when I read I was like I didn't you know it didn't really click to me. And I I I have to give him incredible credit. Another guy that I love amazing actor. But anyway, so I went into my audition, did Ned's part, you know, probably made the casting director fall asleep. Then I got up to do The Chemist, took my shirt off, and my back is already full of tattoos, turned my back, started just ad-libbing this insane monologue that had already been written out. and stuff. Within an hour and a half, I got a phone call offering me the fat part, fastest phone call. I mean, I knew, I just knew this, this is part I was born to do. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, and then
3: I guess Panis had actually already seen uh, 31 Rob's film, so as soon as he saw it, he was like, oh my God, that's, you know, head. Um. And so I was, and then I talked to Panas on the phone and on, on Skype and he was incredible. And then I went uh, out there for one night to shoot this incredible scene. And um, I got there and it was supposed to be originally a lizard that was, you know, that I, that I have in a cage and I'll talk about it. And then as I get there, Panis goes, because he's just this big guy, like a giant bear giggling away, right? Doesn't look unlike you, actually big beard, you know? And he's <laughs> going, he goes, um you know man uh you do you mind it's going to be a tiger actually because we we're able to afford it i was like great let's have a tiger so there's this huge bengal tiger in a cage pacing around and then i gotta do the scene i'm like wow this is amazing and then um nicholas cage as you know he doesn't speak in the whole scene right he just stands there so i kind of thought oh, it's nicholas cage you know and i really got you know nicholas i love your movies you know, thank you for all the great work you've done and which is, the honest of God's truth, the guy's a legend. And yeah. then um, expecting, of course, once the camera was on me after they'd done his close-ups, and I'd done my mall a bunch of times, that he would pop off to his trailer and chill out and they'd put like, you know, some runner just on his first film, was <laughs> a stand there. Nicolas Cage stood there the whole time. Not only that, he wasn't eating his sandwich or drinking his coffee, he was fully focused the same performance that he had given, you know, 40 minutes earlier when the camera was on him. The whole time I had to just keep doing my home monologue. I mean, his commitment and his professionalism blew me away because you really, you know, you get there's all this tar, Nicholas Gage is all, you know, he's just, a, you know, he's crazy. But you know, when it comes to working, he is 100% professional. It was it was really great to see. Um, and it was a hell of a night, you know, just a hell of a night, just mad, just totally insane. You know, and then Panasonic. Man, yeah, just have another do what you want, you know, doing. And so I just got to do all kinds of weird shit basically and act like I was in a state of complete drug uh, <laughs> and drugged out insanity while I'm creating this uh, acid. Anyway, wow.
1: it was fun. that's very oh, good. Goosebumps. Thank you so much. Yeah, Halloween 2 is another um, favorite of mine. Um, what kind of conversations did you have with um, Rob before making that film? Um, for me, it's one of the best films about PTSD um, mm-hmm. I've ever seen. Um, yeah. The first half and the way it turns, it's just incredible. So, yeah, what kind of conversations did you have?
3: I'm glad that you really get that, because I guess, you know, I never read much reviews and stuff, but I've heard that a lot of people, oh, I hate Halloween too, you know, all the right Halloween people. I think it's a great, great, such an underrated film. And every year when it, um, this time, uh, this time of year, there's always some, um, people like yourself who either say or, or read articles who re, you know reevaluate just how how amazing that film is and, and and you know what you just said about it being you know about PTSD uh, and you know it is just an amazing film uh, way underrated and then cuz that was the first time I'd worked with rob so you know you don't meet rob at auditions he doesn't like sitting in and you know watching actors sweat so he has you go on tape with the casting and director and then you just eventually get a phone call um, and so I taped for that, uh, another, really just a blast of an audition, you know, I'm playing a coroner who's, you know, fantasizing about a shack and a corpse. So, um, you know, just such a great scene, right? So we, I get the set and I didn't know anything about Rob other than his music. Like I wasn't that familiar, i be honest with his film work at that point in my life. Now, of course I know everything about it, but, um, I, you know, I, I knew he's this, to me was this insane, you know, Rocker that was just like had this following of madness of mad crazy fans and you know so I pictured this you know totally insane guy coming you know all really difficult director with you know screaming and yelling and you know snorting cocaine and you know I was like oh, this is gonna be I was you know I was pretty worried so get there Atlanta show up um, next thing Rob comes up he's chatting with me comes out he's the most level headed. Professional, chilled out, sane. He's like a vegan, completely nothing like his stage persona. That you know, I've seen him since in concert, and he's like this whirlwind of madness. In real life, he's just this incredible professional, chilled out, lovely guy. So we were sitting outside the trailer talking about vegan cheese because I'm a vegetarian, right? I I can't give up cheese. So he's trying to say, "Man, oh, there's a lot of vegans," and I'm thinking. Wait a sec, I'm talking about vegan cheese with yeah. So we just chatted, you know, about vegan cheese, we honestly and then I got there and he's so again, he's just gives you this vibe. And we got there and I, I was shooting the scene with um uh the other corner, whose name I do know, is blank at the moment, will come back to me. Um, who's in Sons of Anarchy, Anarchy, you know, great actor. Yeah. And um and and Rob's just like, you yeah, go for it. He just shot a bunch of takes. He let his ad live, let me come up with some stuff. And he loves that. You know, he, he, on, on some of the characters done, there's a lot of freedom to um, improvise. So improvise a bunch of stuff. You could tell Rob loves something because you can hear him giggle in the background when you're shooting it. So, you know, you're laughing. And then we shot it a bunch. I got a good story, actually. And then I flew back to um, London, where I live. And I was took my boys to um, Brighton at the beach. And, you know, it was a. And you know, I was having a little weekend with him or something. Or we had, it was actually on a weekday. And I got a call from my manager in LA saying, they need you to go back to Atlanta now because the film had gone through the um, x-ray at the airport and had been, or something happened to it basically. And the problem was the night we shot, the first night there was a fake cow and Rob was really gutted. The, the cow looked like shit. Like it was a really crappy fucking... Like, job they'd done uh, the cow makers so he was really like pissed off about that so somehow magically the the, the film got fucked up so we had to reshoot everything everything the cows scene, everything so i flew back i literally had to get straight to the airport fly back to atlanta right that evening started shooting we reshot everything wow. and in fact i came out feeling it went better even and definitely rob is a lot happier with the cow I <laughs> shot, shot the death scene. Shot everything that night, and uh, I flew back and did it. Flew home again and finished my weekend away with the kids. <laughs> wow, that must have been super intense. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you also in Death of Stalin,
1: um, which feels like it could be due a sequel given the current events. Um, how did you feel when you first read that script? Because. It's another insane piece
3: of writing, right? Yeah, it is. But I'll tell you what's so great about I've been really enjoying watching Veep over the over court over COVID. Um, so, uh, he's such a, another incredible guy to work with because he's works so differently than a lot of other most everyone i ever worked with. Um, a lot of what um, Armando does is he'll he has you, um, he just sets it all up. So when you read the script, there's a lot of it in there, but a lot of that's improvised or he thinks up these weird little lines. So, he does, you'll see you know, how he does the like, real tracking stuff and the camera's walking around and he's picking up this and he's picking up that. So he'll do one run through as maybe it's written and then he'll bring the camera go, okay. And they'll go, hey, this time, why don't you say, and he'll give you something to say, you know, and they'll come, something totally different, like random, just really random, like, oh, nice, you know, nice shirt you got, or whatever it might be, but it works enough. And he'll do that and they'll let you, you know, come up with stuff or whatever. And you watch him do that, and obviously my part's not that huge in it. But there's, you know, you see some of the other amazing actors that he has with him doing it, and Steve Buscemi and all these great guys. And you watch like they'll come up with all this stuff, and he just the camera goes, and he just picks up. So a lot of it's just done very, very on on the spur. Which watching Veep is fun to watch. You can watch how they You can think, ah, that just he just obviously came right up with that that moment, or, or he did because he's got a great mind for coming up with just the funniest, weird little quips and one lines. And, and, uh, and whatnot, so it's a re- it was an amazing experience because it was so different than you know, than the typical way that films are shot, the way that you know, the directors work. In, in terms of your relationship with your
1: fellow actors, uh, I've met Christian Bale, and he is a really, really unique person. Um, what was it like working with him?
3: It's hard for me to answer because you know how he um, gets into character so intensely? Yeah. <laughs> so therefore... Either he was totally in character, and because I killed his parents, so he was—he was not sitting down having a chat with me. That's for so damn sure. <laughs> well, I could see this look of complete and utter disdain every time I saw him look over at me. So I have a feeling he was. And now obviously, at that point too, I think I was a pretty youngish actor. It was one of my first big films. And you know, and, and I think his I the the image of Christian Bale as a, a very method and very kind of in character at the time, you know, hadn't quite you know hadn't quite crystallizes it has subsequently, so um, you know now I even know, but it's like, not like me. But obviously, you know, he stays he whether he, I know people make this whole thing about method actors they stay in character all the time. I mean, you know, I work in the same similar similar method, mm-hmm. but. You know, but we do stay close to it, and, and some closer than others, sort of keep it around. And I think he definitely, most, most undoubtedly, stays very close to his character, even between takes. And do- So obviously, as being the man that um, basically not only killed his parents, but did create him ultimately, um, he was not uh, friendly. <laughs> But he was, at, you know, he was completely, and I say that jokingly. He was yeah, completely yeah. professional and completely amazing, you know. And, and his performances is, is is it shows it's phenomenal. I mean, he's he's. I think he's one of my favorite actors. I mean, yeah. I have to say, I yeah. just can't. There's nothing he does that I just doesn't blow me away. Incredible. Yeah. But I hope yeah. I get to do a film with him where yeah. we're where we're good friends. Yeah. In the film. <laughs> <laughs> so I can chat with him a bit.
1: Yeah, Uh, well, I I, um, interviewed him. Um, The situation was it was a red carpet um, for Exodus uh, for for the Ridley Scott movie. And um, he wasn't talking to any other journalists. It was just going to be me. And I was under pressure to get a good, you know, some some good quotes and stuff. And um, I see him get out of his car and he comes towards me. And then he goes back to interact with the fans. And so my kind of adrenaline spikes and then it goes down. And then um, he, he comes back over, goes back and he eventually comes over to me. And I've been told I need to keep him talking for as long as possible because it's the only interview he's doing. And um, it was fantastic. Like he was like a raconteur. Um, he told me this story about how Joel Egerton was a method actor and he spent the whole shoot in a gold thong um and then i kind of step away and you know i check the facts and he just made the whole story up <laughs> his own amusement i loved it like yeah like i say very unique guy um bill mosley uh is another great you've worked with uh, arrow uh have texas chainsaw massacre on their streaming service at the moment are you a fan of that film and what makes bill so special do you think because i know that you guys are friends yeah
3: no, I'm a, I'm a very much fan of um, the first Texas Chainsaw. I think it's I think it's you know one of the greatest horror films of all time, and one of the most important horror films of all of all time. That's for sure. Um, and in terms of Bill, and and also I you know, said so Texas Chainsaw Two is great, and Bill's in that one. And oh, um, well, I mean, I just I, I mean I love Bill. I had not met Bill before shooting uh, Three from Hell. Um, I knew, obviously, Bill, because of incredible work. So I was, I have to say, when, when, I, when I flew in to do Three From Hell, I was like, oh, you know, because I'm sort of coming in because, unfortunately, Sid was was poorly and, and couldn't do it at that point. Um, and I know Bill and, Bill and Sid are, are close friends and have done a lot of work together. So I was thinking, how's Bill going to be? And, I got there and it was amazing, right? He was just this incredibly he's again another guy who plays crazies, but he's incredibly professional, incredibly um down to earth, and just a really sweet human being. Um and I think there's a there's a reason for that too. You know, there's a reason that all these crazies or these people you think are nuts are actually not nuts in real life, you know, and I, I think that's lovely. But he um, he was, he, he was so good. And then on my first day on set, because, you know, I came into that film quite late, um, due to the, you know, of Sid, um, Sid being so sick and had, had like, I think I was, I flew in, I knew two weeks before shooting. And then I got there about three weeks in, three, three days into their shoot. And our first scene on my first day was with Bill and Sherry in the motel room where we're thinking of going to Mexico. And, um, and, and I get there, and it's Bill, and we just had the right away. Bill and I just clicked, because you know I wondered how would this character fit in with these guys. You know they've been doing it for you know, years now, thirteen years or more, or longer, longer. That's since Devils. They've been playing it much longer than that. Um, and I was, and immediately we literally playing cards, go fish, and, and we're just cracking up and improvising again, loads. And then we do the whole scene where um, Rob says to me, originally in script, it's like. I go over and I say, oh, you know, I think maybe we should make movies or some the horror, you know, sex movies. And Rob's like, no, no, go over this time and just tell him the plot of your first film. So I'm like, what? And he comes behind the camera and goes, action. So I had to come up with this whole scene about, you know, shagging dogs and not shagging. You know, and, I was, and I could see Bill's face, like, just trying not to laugh. <laughs> I, mean, so I mean, the kind of chemistry right away, right away from that first day was was brilliant. And then with Sherry, because I've worked with her, you know, it's great. And, I mean, I just love, she's my favourite actor to work with. I just love working with her. She's so much fun. So it was a real, a real vibe. Bill, Bill's brilliant. I loved it. And
1: uh, chemistry is a really interesting thing. Like, it was there straight away with you guys and it's really clear on the screen. That chemistry is amazing. Um, but if it's not there, how do you develop it? Like, can you kind of force it? Or is it just, it's there or it's not? I mean
3: i think to be at the level there was with bill i and sherry um i think that you can't really force i think what happened there was it really was special i have to say um you know with sherry i mean, i I feel like she's like a sister i mean i'm really such a incredible fondness for her and um enjoy working with her that you know that was there but with what happened between the three of us and how that worked and it's, it, there's no way you can make that happen. I mean, that's down to Rob, that's down to the energy on set that I was talking about earlier. That's on to the, you know, so many factors that make it all just work, you know, um, kind of, there's no way that can happen. But I think you can not have chemistry necessarily with somebody in real, in, in you know, necessarily in real life. And it somehow it does, can work on film. You know, I've, I've seen that happen. Um, you know, at my own time a little bit and definitely with people I know and it didn't get on necessarily with somebody or it wasn't, but when you see it on film, you can't tell because there's ways to work around it. But I don't think you can create the kind of chemistry that happened with Bill, Sherry and I. I think that was just a magical thing that happened and stuff, all these factors that just gelled together.
1: What has been your toughest challenge in your career and how did you overcome it? (laughs)
3: Let me think. Toughest challenge. Um, I mean, honestly, the reason it's hard is that I've actually really had an amazing ride so far. Knock on wood. Um, you know, I haven't had any experience working with really awkward or difficult people or directors. You know, there's so many things. I tell you what, the what the greatest challenge and what what really had the biggest effect is. Do I have time for a quick story? Yes, um, yeah, yeah it was challenged more as an individual as a person and, and, and you know so it's not going to be a great story about like some director i had to deal with or or you know some part i didn't get you know those are so you know there's been plenty of roles i didn't get but i've learned really realized that they were not meant to be because again i know that you know I've, I've, in fact i had experience where i didn't get something and then when i heard about the experience from the person who did get it or that you know wasn't nice. You know, I thought I was saved. You know, so I definitely believe that what I'm meant to do, i meant to do. But the story goes that you know I was um, doing Cold Mountain, and I became very close friends with Killian Murphy because we were shooting out there for a couple of weeks, and it was middle of nowhere. It was a great, great shoot. Anthony Mangella is a, is literally probably the most incredible man I've experienced meeting. It was it was wild. He's like talk about channeling something special. Um, it was really incredible but I really got on Kelly and I just clicked we just spent a lot of time together it was lovely lovely experience he's an amazing actor obviously and, a, and just a, and a, a lovely person I and mean, we're having so much fun out there and he had just shot 28 days later and um that hadn't quite everything thing was coming out like the next week or whatever and you know he's telling me about that and he was well-known young actor over here um but not who he is now at all right he was just kind of upcoming you know in fact he had you know taken the smaller role in the film that we were shooting you know and but you know he was anyway so we were flying back and um to uh london and we were chatting about you know um i believe it was colin farrell who he's friends with and he was talking about a role that colin farrell had just been offered camera board it was and a certain amount of money that colin farrell was not going to make for this role or roughly new. and he, and I, and killian goes oh i can't wait till i can make that i make that much and it was you know fair it was a fair chunk of change at that point i mean not crazy amount but you know fair chunk for working actor and i said yeah me too and in my thinking i could see that i had a little thought going yeah it's not probably going to happen whereas i could see killian had he knew it was going to happen and i thought you know what it's just in my head you know, and I do, I do a lot of meditation. I have even, by that point, I was in, you know, and I'm into a little, you know, I do yoga. I'm like into it, you know, it's what we think creates a lot of stuff and um, how we perceive things. And I could see, I, I, I didn't believe I could create, I could succeed in that to that length. So I started watching that little thought pop up. You know, I'd be an audition and I would think, oh, I'm not going to get this. And I go, and that's just a fucking thought. And I just watched it for, you know, for about, well, I still watch it, So pop up, you know, I think, oh, I'm going to be able to play the lead in that series, right? You know, it could pop up. And we all have it, right? I would say, a year, what was it? 2002, we shot that. 2004, I did Doom for the amount of money that we were talking about on that airplane. Wow. So, you know, it does, It uh, you know, it's so the biggest challenge, and to answer your question, is overcoming my own um, uh, limitations that my, as a human being, I put on myself. And I think that all of us, you know, all of us do that. And the more we can overcome them, the more full and rich a life we can have.
1: That's beautiful, go. man. Uh, yeah, that, yeah that, that means a lot to me, actually, yeah. Um, oh, but, right. um, I've just started out as a, a filmmaker myself, and um, I'm just about to, I'm doing my third film. And, um, yeah, that process of, of the way I kind of handle it is, um, the way I see it is, when those thoughts pop up, it's kind of your subconscious trying to warn yeah. you of the mm. danger because your subconscious doesn't know the difference between truth and fiction. Mm. Its job is to protect you. And so mm. those little thoughts are to protect you in a way. And mm. so I always just say to myself, and it's kind of like a meditation thing, I just say, thank you so much for the warning, brain,
3: subconscious. Mm. But I'm okay, I've got this. Mm. And then it goes. Yeah, exactly. There it goes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd love do that. that. Absolutely. It's just being aware of it, you know. And that's why you, you make yourself aware of it. You go, boom, I know you're there. Thanks. And it's nice you thank it. Brilliant. And you just go, you know what? You're there. Thank you. But I don't need you. I got it. You know, you're not gonna help me. You know, and those those and honestly, if you can do that, that's it. And I think to be honest with me, to be honest with you. That's like my biggest advice to anybody that you know, when people, a lot of young actors will go, oh, you know, how do I make it? You know, and they expect me to say something magic, call this agent or whatever, you know, do this. And I say meditate, you know, because I really think it's very important to have, you know, just some awareness and some you know, meditation is a million things that it helps with. But one of them is to begin to be aware of your own thoughts that are not helping you and to let them go.
1: 100%, Good, man. thank you so much. And final question um we talked about toughest challenge what's been your proudest moment
3: um can you choose hard to choose like choosing my because i'm gonna say what's your favorite film and you know part you played it's like and i say it's like choosing my favorite child you know i have three boys and i have you know i love all three of them equally and um you know i have a very different relationship with all three and one of them's 18 months and one of them's 21 so you know it's kind of, um but uh you know, some that re- obviously the work I do with Rob, I think, has been some of I think some of my best work, and has given me obviously a, a huge following of of crazy, lovely, wonderful fans that you know have fat faces with my character Doomhead tattooed all over yeah, them. And, that monologue, uh,
1: man.
2: Just you know,
3: and I probably, in many ways, if I choose as a, as an actor, work you know, uh, that, that 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 monologue, the opening monologue at thirty one, you know, but again. I sometimes say that all I did was learn Alliance because I didn't improvise at all. In fact, very little in Doomhead because he was well, had written such a great character um, that, you know, with that opening monologue, I just learned it so well. I just knew Doomhead. I just created this character. And then we had, you know, one few hours to shoot it. I did three takes, I think. Um, Rob, you know, three straight through without having to stop. Because one of the things we loved about that is Rob said to me right at the beginning of shooting, so at that monologue, I really I really see the opening as just your face for as long as I can hold on it, you know, before I cut. So I knew, I'd, the longer he held, the more I had succeeded at doing, getting, giving him what he wanted. And luckily he holds right until, you know, he has to cut at some point, um, you know. So I would say in terms of my acting, that is one of my absolute favorites, that, that character. But I loved Foxy and, you know, I've loved so many, I mean, I've, just so much things I've done. Is, I've been so lucky, really lucky.
1: Thank you. And, and actually, one, one more very quick one. Um, we do recommendations on, on the podcast. Um, have you watched any uh, great movies recently that you'd like to recommend that, that people watch?
3: Rewatched um, Wild at Heart the other day with, uh, with my son, who's a 21 year old. I hadn't seen it yet, and he's into film. So, you know, rewatched that, which was a lot of fun. I hadn't seen that for a long time. So good old Nicolas Cage, going full on Nicolas Cage, wild yeah, I, My son's taste is probably more diverse than mine. I think he was watching Czech Modernist or something, or Czech New Wave the other day. I was like, Czech? Czech I think it was Czechoslovakia New Wave because it was pre-Velvet uh, pre, um, Revolution. But he was, I was like, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's impressive you know I mean I, I take him to see Cassavetes films occasionally so he's really I love Cassavetes I we went to see uh Husbands who was playing at the BFI last oh, year so. I took him to see that and then we've watched a few there's nothing better than watching a Cassavetes on um, I mean he's probably my favorite all-time director and, and in the cinema because I think that's the experience where it, you know forces you to stay focused when you're you know, if you're at home watching it, sometimes you go, oh, I think I'm going to make a coffee. And you, know, you need to just like, I mean, when I saw Husbands, because I had not seen that in the cinema and watching that in the cinema was like, wow. I mean, a totally different experience for me.
1: Awesome. Awesome. There we go. And speaking of interviews, because I've talked so long, I'm going to shut the fuck up and I'm going to pass over to you to
0: talk about the very, very exciting thing we're doing tomorrow, Dan oh my goodness yes so if you're listening to this podcast as it goes up on the day it goes up then tomorrow the literal tomorrow (laughs) sam and i are going to be interviewing the one and only the inimitable kevin smith yeah which is super fucking exciting uh, I couldn't have imagined when watching Clerks for the twentieth time in my sixth form college <laughs> AV room with whatever nth group of friends, I was like, "Oh, you've got to come and see this!" Uh, <laughs> that one day I'd be interviewing the man himself for for Arrow Video. I didn't even know what Arrow Video was back then. <laughs> um, obviously, as as you probably know, listener. Arrow are giving the right old arrow treatment to More Rats. Uh Kevin's second picture. Look at that. I'm already calling him Kevin. Like we're <laughs> best friends. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's gonna happen. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, join Sam and I tomorrow uh on the Arrow video. I think it's going up on the it's it's going up on the Facebook Live, it's going yep. up on the YouTube
1: live. Yeah. It's at uh, eight PM British summer time. Uh I don't know what that means for the America. Uh, yeah. so
0: that's that's east coast plus five west coast plus eight middle coast you're on your own i don't know well middle coast i don't think middle coast is a thing middle <laughs> middle america you're on your own but
1: yeah no it, it, it'll be uh, obviously on the youtube channel afterwards if you can't get to it live but if you can please join us and ask as many questions as you like you know we want it to be an interactive experience yes uh, and here's a cliffhanger for you uh kevin smith is responsible for my entire career directly responsible for my entire career um and i will be mentioning that on the live q a if it wasn't for kevin smith i wouldn't have met dan i wouldn't be doing this podcast right now so so yeah he is directly responsible for everything um so blame him if you want to blame anyone um right if you want shall we, if you want,
0: do you want another another cliffhanger for the kevin smith oh interview? yeah fucking yeah damn right Uh, Kevin Smith if he wanted to could potentially me too my wife oh my goodness wow that i mean that's that's better than my
1: cliffhanger in a way um wow okay better um,
0: or much much worse
1: <laughs> i mean it's it's certainly more intriguing okay well we will see you tomorrow night at 8 p.m in the uk on arrows youtube on arrows facebook and you can find out the answers to those uh, mysteries uh dan how can people follow you on social media
0: uh, I'm at 13fingerfx, finger F-X, uh, that's 1-3-F-I-N-G-E-R-F for Foxtrot, X for X-Ray, on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, at the moment, uh, Twitter is mostly me reposting uh, positive reviews about Possessor, I and mean, then occasionally getting cross with our government. Uh, Instagram, I'm trying to be a little bit more uh, industry-based, uh, although I recently posted a load of lovely catholic uh interior design from my cathedral trips on my days off in malta
2: um
0: but but both have a a certain amount at least of of film insight and
1: yeah if you want to follow me on
0: twitter i am actually recommending
1: you follow me on twitter at the moment because uh, at sam ashurst i'm doing loads of festival coverage at the moment All, all the films that i love at london film festival um i am doing sort of mini reviews of because, um, yeah, let's celebrate the things that we love. Uh, Also Instagram, but let's ignore that this week. Let's just focus on Twitter, at Sam Ashurst. It's my name on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, please rate and review us and subscribe to us.
0: And recommend us to your friends. You've beaten that out of me over the years, Sam. But yeah, I I used to love this. I used to love this bit where we begged for approval. (laughs) (laughs) I I just like
1: imagine that like, yeah, I I am. I am solely responsible for us having half at least half the listener numbers we should have because we should have done this. I just I I was a fool. I let my ego get in the way of um, potential adulation. Uh, which is sort of ironic so yeah please please do review us unless you hate us in which
0: case how did you make it this far into the episode
2: Um, this
1: yeah
0: what we're saying is this year has gone interminably slowly and yet somehow it's almost gone somehow it's it's flashed past us yes and you like us maybe are struggling to think of what to get your family who you're probably not going to be able to visit a virtual Christmas present. Yes. Um, and so, the best thing we can recommend is just a link to the podcast. Just send them yeah. the URL of the podcast. Maybe, maybe even put in a bit of extra thought. Put in your favourite episode. Send them your favourite episode. Surely, your eighty-five-year-old grandmother wants nothing more from you uh, yeah. than the your link to maybe you like doom asylum the most maybe that's the one you want your grandmother to hear and look if you want to give it a special flourish then
1: you know put it on on uh, a google doc print it out the url put it in a box wrap it up post that oh
0: make it like a mystery go on a website work out how to turn the url into a qr code right then graffiti that on the house opposite your grandmother
1: yes
2: yes uh, send her yeah. a
0: smartphone
1: <laughs> or or just give us a five-star review and and say we're lovely um that'll do yeah we'll don't, take don't that. all say that because otherwise it'll look like we're gaming the system but look we want to keep doing this podcast forever and in order to do that we need your support so yeah if you can give us reviews and stuff we would massively appreciate it we love you all uh thank you so much for listening I'm going to go into this now, and we Ooh. promise to be more professional. To be more professional. Next time. Next
0: time. Thank uh, you. Yes. Uh, just like we practiced. Yeah, mm, yes. Right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.